Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on getting you to Japan for your first visit or to make the next adventure to Japan an even better one. Today's special interview is with Maurice, who is a fellow fan of Japan and has turned his love of that wonderful place and photography into a photographical art book whose goal, as he describes it, is to recreate the timeless feeling of flipping through a photo album, reminiscing on memories of the past, loved ones, and encounters we wish to relive. This is your director of travel for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with positive thoughts and excitement for your next journey to Japan and his own return in summer 2023. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope that this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we can all use a beacon like this in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you again for your time and returning once more. For today's show, let me introduce our special guest, Maurice Hicks, who has created a project about Japan that will be heading to Kickstarter soon. I truly find it amazing how a like and a connection through social media could lead us to talking here today. And that quote that I saw, Maurice, I, I ended up seeing after and I liked one of your posts that was there and how there's truly not enough good people that you can surround yourself with and how we can do so and lift each other up more than you can just do on your own, just truly hit home. And I truly believe in that thought. And we're going to look to try to recreate that sentiment with today's show with you today. So I truly feel fortunate to have Maurice join us. Welcome, Maurice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for making time for our listeners by joining us to today's episode to geek out on Japan and share a bit about your book, photography, and your Kickstarter. And before we get going with today's episode, where can listeners go to ask questions about your book, the Kickstarter, or just answer any any additional questions that they may have? Uh, okay, so first and foremost, there is a Facebook page that is just titled, uh, the title of the book called Ganbate, the photo book. And then also on uh, Instagram, the same. Uh, it's Ganbate uh, period, the period photo book. And any kind of questions they may have, they can shoot me a message over there and I'll be get, sure to get to them pretty quickly because I'm, I'm pretty laser focused on these social media pages at this point. Awesome. And just for anyone who's driving at the moment and or doesn't have access to a pen or paper, I will put those all in the show notes. The rest, like our section, Maurice, I usually like to start off as just give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself, anything you want to share outside of Japan or in, just like the section's up to you, my friend. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. 
Hello, everyone. Well, uh, my name is Maurice Hicks. By trade, I am a filmmaker, and these days I mostly dabble in writing and directing. More recently, I got into like uh, kind of corporate directing as far as like office video kind of content, but that pays the bills. Also, a bit of a, a corporate, like traditional corporate nine to five career that is very generous to me and that give me lots of freedom, you know, that allows me to go and do these projects and things like that. So I definitely appreciate them. I went to college on the East Coast, studied in film studies, uh, and that's kind of where photography kind of co took a, a foothold as this this medium to tell stories. I don't know. It, it just kind of blossomed from there. And here I am. I got to say, like, looking at the cameras and things, which we'll get into a little bit later for what you have, has really made me relive the time when I was in college and doing darkroom and actual, you know, photography, you know, like, not not that digital art is not, but like, you know, actually getting your own film and producing what you have in front of you. It was just, it was wonderful. So it's good to see that those are, you know, still in use and uh, produce the like great images that I'm seeing with that. What led you to setting Japan as a place that you wanted to visit? Because I know when we were talking, you visited with your friends in 2019. And it's funny to think that I was doing the same thing, my friend, with my own friends in July of the same year and kind of leading them around. Oh, so I feel like my uh, interest in Japan was like a lot of people. I was into anime as a child. I was into video games. But as I gotten older, I don't really watch anime anymore. And I play games, but only very like sporadically. It's like if a big title comes out, I'll get into that. And a lot of times I don't beat them, but <laughs> I do have that interest still. But I would like to say that as far as from a cultural perspective and what that cultural hook was, it was a game called Shenmue from, uh, I want to say around 1999. And I remember playing that game and I've always been interested in like slice of life drama, that sort of content. And this this ridiculously scaled slice of life Japanese recreation of just everyday life in a video game was like anything I'd ever seen before. And I was like, what the heck is this? It was so foreign, but so relatable at the same time. And I like even among, I guess, Western American video game offerings, it just had never had anything like that. Not even close. And I just remember being enamored with that, completely just floored, and it just kind of took off from there. It planted this seed of interest that went beyond like, oh, well, this is where anime comes from, or this is where video games come from. It, came, it planted a seed of a, a genuine interest in the cultural perspective and the cultural day-to-day -day of the Japanese landscape. And I just, it never went away. It, clearly, it just, it just never went away. Man, I got to say, I, I, we uh, have connected uh, on so many levels just in that last moment. I, I loved uh, Shenmue and I loved the fact that it was like the, the, so detailed and so, you know, exact that it was even down to the weather for those days and the dates and the time, you know, that's there, like, you know, for that. And I bought the remastered uh, on PlayStation 5, but I have not sat through to... Uh, you know, play it again, but man, mm -hmm. that holds a soft part on my, uh, in my life as well. So you have this, that's like first attracted you there. Like you said, early on anime and Maurice, I'm still a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm still, uh, watching that anime with my, you know, my son and my daughter and stuff like that. You've been to Japan now a few times. What would be that first thing that you're looking forward to do when you return again? 
Oh, gosh. There is something about landing and going through all, like, the, the entry stuff, like, through immigration and getting your, your, your stamp and everything like that. One thing I'd never really taken time to do was to get food in Narita or Haneda. I'm always, like, rushing out. And I think the first time, or the next time, one of the first things I want to do before I get on, like, the next, like, the Narita Express into central Tokyo is probably just take a moment and just eat some food in the airport because there are a lot of really great offerings because, you know, I'm sure you know, the Japanese love showcasing their culture, in particular with, like, clothing and, and omayage and food. And those are things that I just, every time I'm in the airport, I just rush by it. And I've always felt like I've had to be in a rush but, you know, you're on vacation. There is no rushing. You don't need to. And I think the next time, the first thing I want to do is, like, take a breath, slow down, and really just take in and absorb the fact that I'm in Japan again. Let me eat some food and, you know, just kind of be thankful for the ability to kind of go because I know that not everyone gets to go. It's a it's a big trip, you know. And for Westerners, it literally is on the other side of the globe. So just take some time, eat some food reflect and be thankful for the opportunity that hits home Maurice because like it, it's so easy to get stuck in that I've just been on a plane for forever I just want to get to my lodging um, and kind of blow through th those things but I'll say like uh, as much as Narita is not my first choice for airports to go through I love the mall mm -hmm. that's near the you know there near that airport and I love just walking through and just seeing families be families and, you know, like in the food courts or shops or other things. That's been some of my most enjoyable experiences. And like I would have missed out on that if I didn't take the time, you know, kind of like with what you're saying that, that that's I love it. I love it. Um, what are some future locations that you have uh, when you return again, my friend? OK, so can I step back for one yes. moment? I'll answer that. But I want to step back for one moment. Uh, so. You mentioned that, you know, you're also a Shenmue fan, which is awesome. Go. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was a big fan of, you know, Shenmue from day one. And I don't know if you're aware, but the third one was a Kickstarter yes. project. Um, and uh, it was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And I don't know if I, I did. I'm surprised I didn't tell you this, but the timing of my trip in, in 2019 coincided with the release of Shenmue 3 the exact day. That's awesome. When I got to yeah, when I got to Tokyo, Shenmue 3 was releasing that day and there was a picture of me with my buddies going into like a I don't I forget what the store was, but I picked up a copy of Shenmue 3 on release day off a shelf in Japan. And, and it was pretty wild. Uh it was pretty wild cuz it was like the game had been delayed so many times, and I'm like, well, if the game happens to come out, I'll get it if I can. If I can't, then I had I bought a Kickstarter copy, so it'll arrive to me whenever it does. But it just so happens that I was there the exact day that it came out, and I got to experience that. It was wild, because it felt like serendipity. It felt like, wow, this is, this is some kind of cosmic kind of coincidence that is probably never going to be recreated in my life ever again. So that was... Really, really interesting. Memories with Lost in Translation, because my first visit to Japan was back in 2004 with Fulbright. So like there were two teachers from every state that went over. We were there for a month. Amazing experience. But I remember seeing Lost in Translation in theaters and then watching it numerous times before I even went. And that connection 
with um you know like new york bar and just the area and seeing everything in person it felt like that was my time that was meant to be uh you know there and i still go back to those locations every time i go and my son huge fan as well maurice we found orange camo shirts like uh bill wore when they were karaokeing together and we are going to be flipping those inside out putting our you know sport coats on and 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 going and geeking out together so man i i, I love that i love that connection that is absolutely beautiful <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely wonderful because I think that anyone who has even like a fleeting interest in Japan is an, and is a Westerner or an English speaker or someone who who sees Japan or experiences Japan as such this like kind of like completely distinct experience, they have to have some kind of connection with that film. It's it's such a it's such a poignant kind of like experience that uh, I I don't. It's very special. I think that there are films that capture an essence of a moment or capture the essence of an experience, and that film is that. Love it all. Where do you want to go next, my friend? Oh, gosh. There is a very long list. One of the first places I want to go, if I can, if, I, if I'm able to swing this, you know, the JR passes don't get too expensive, probably would be Okinawa, uh, Fukuoka, which I think is on the kind of like the, the western kind of coast. I've already been to Osaka, but I skipped over Nara and Kyoto. I think that those places, uh, from a traditional sense, they appeal to me, but I like my kind of like urban areas. I like my buildings. I like my people kind of on the outskirts and kind of living life and making it their own. The tourist spots are interesting to me, but not as interesting as, I guess, regular people making it day to day. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people talk about Sendai and Hokkaido and things like that, but I go for between two to three and a half weeks at a time. And it's like, do you bounce around the country? Because if you get the pass, you can do that. Yes. Or do you kind of really stay in a place and kind of really, really absorb it? And I know that traveling for weekends or just kind of like domestic travel is very big in Japan. They love it. I know that the, the go-to travel thing was huge for a while. I definitely see why it's such a popular kind of endeavor because like you said, you really can go many, many, many multiple times and you haven't seen everything, not even close. And all these different places have such a different spirit to them. Right. I remember I was on a, a you know, like a discord and there was a, a pretty heated argument. Um, someone saying, well, if you've just been to Tokyo, you haven't seen Japan. And there was a huge divide there. Like I had never seen so so many people, like strangers, like these people don't know each other, <laughs> so heated. And other people were saying, well, Japan is just more than just Osaka, you know, uh, ramen shops and Tokyo and, and Akihabara. You have to go to the countryside. You have to go to the coast. You have to go to Yokohama. You got to go to Hokkaido. You got to go to all these places to really say you experience the like the full spectrum of this country. And they were like, Tokyo ain't it. Like that's a big thing, and it's kind of a lot of the information that's exported to us, especially as Americans. But there's so much more. And the next trip, you know, obviously I typically fly into Tokyo. Uh, it can't just be that. Yes. It has to be something like I would be letting myself down. I'd be disrespecting the country to just assume that I've seen it 
all that it has to offer if I just stayed in one city, you know, most populated or densely populated city or whatever in the world, as it may be, that's fine. But there is so much more to the character and the spirit of Japan, and I have to go somewhere else. So I think Fukuoka is definitely on the list. Uh, Okinawa is definitely on the list. Hiroshima, and the, I think you've mentioned in one of your episodes, the Peace Museum, that has to be on the list. There are so many things that really, really, truly, and I, I, I have to make those things a priority. When you hit uh, Hiroshima, let me know, because I said like the good time bar is my, I got some friends that are out there. One runs a Korean restaurant, one runs a bar with hot dogs and so much more now, but uh, you're definitely going to have to stop by and, uh, you know, say hi, but um, Fukuoka is on my list too. My son and I are going to be uh, hitting that up tr- possibly for a baseball game, but we already bought tickets for a carp game, a uh, Tigers game, and a Giants game. So I don't know if we're going to be pulling off uh, four baseball games you know, <laughs> uh, on our visit. I said, you know, I was telling my son, I'm like, son, we can go back. Well, we're going to go to Fukuoka, <laughs> you know, but we, we can go back. You know, we can go back. We don't need to do it all in one, uh, you know, one trip. Um, I, I want to get into your book uh, yeah. because it, it is f- fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those, you know, the images and things with me. And I got to say, I'm jealous of you, sir, and your return to Japan back in November 2022 uh, before I was able to get back to be able to finish taking your pictures. Um, but what was it like then uh, where it was just kind of opening up again? Well, a little secret. There was some threading the needle there. Have you ever seen Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan movie? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So I love the little grandmas in Japan, right? Because I got there a few days, like probably a good chunk before the border was open. It was very clear. Like my plane was empty. The airport was empty. Getting through immigration was super fast. Showing the like the the QR code on, on the phone and everything like that. It was so quick. It was bonkers how quick it was because there was no one there. And I remember I got to my, like where my hotel was and it was in like a residential area and speaking to the signs thing, cause it was empty. The streets were empty. I remember I walked out my hotel and, uh, you know, that shot where the alien walks up and you first see its full body for the first time. <laughs> I walked out my hotel and I'm sure I scared the life out of this grandma. She's like, what is that? <laughs> It's just oh, it's just this 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 black guy foreigner with dreadlocks just walking down the street, and she was totally cool about it. But it was she, it was clearly not unexpected, absolutely unexpected because, you know, I went around Sensoji and uh, Asakusa and things like that, and even Akihabara before the border opened, is a ghost town. Yes. It it absolutely was. There was the, there were times when I went into like restaurants and in shops, and they were like, "Yes, please, <laughs> a, a, a customer, a tourist, please, <laughs> whatever you want, bro. <laughs> we got you, <laughs> we got you." <laughs> uh, so it was it was wild. It was really really wild. There were none of the roller bags. There were none of the, the tourists walk around with like their 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 pillows around their neck. None of the people just staring, like taking photos of everything or the trains of like uh, the guided tours with the flag with the person in the front. There was none of that. It was pretty wild. But I was also there when the border did officially open and it was like overnight. It was like there were people chomping at the bit to get there. I didn't I thought it was going to be like 
people would trickle in because, you know, for so long it was like, are they open? Are they not open? Oh, no, not really, because only you, if you've done this, if you do a backflip three times and uh, you can do a handstand, then you can kind of come in. And so I, I understand the hesitance, right? Because a lot of people were losing a lot of money on flights that were not refundable, right? So it officially opened. It was not a trickle in. The day after, it was like, whoa, it's for real. Yeah. Everybody is here. Um, you saw influencers and vloggers and, and, and content creators immediately, immediately. It was wild. Because it was almost like you ever. Uh, I I hate the the idea of Black Friday shopping because it's always like madness, right? But you know, how like the stores are not open and then they open the doors and people just kind of flood in. Yep. It was very much like that. I would have loved to been able to be there because man, I've lost out on like I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, my friend, uh, of rebooking and you know right. changing my son and I's flight. Um, that would have been amazing uh, to kind of have that experience where you're there before and, uh, you know, after that time that's there. I mean, that had to be uh, something that's going to stick with you, no, bout of, no doubt about it. And when I was looking at your book, uh, Ganbate, like, how did you end up deciding to organize it in the way you did? I, I loved it. I, you know, I loved just kind of like, you know, <laughs> scrolling down, you know, in, in my instance, uh, but it just flowed so nicely. So the interesting thing about this uh, and just like the book, because it's it's over a hundred images, and it comprise it's comprised of three trips, uh, the original trip in 2019, a trip in March of 2020, and then this last trip in uh, November of 2022. So I got to see the country right as it was closing. I think I was a week away from the a week or two away from the like the absolute border closure about a week before the actual border opening and then i was able to get in there so you really got to see in 2019 it's interesting because i got to see this the this like the city and the country really starting to slow down right and then in 2022 i really got to see it uh kind of ramp back up okay um in march of 2020 it was wild because there was the, you know, hand sanitizer at every door of every business. Um, when I checked into my Airbnb, the 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 apartment owner was like, yo, we've got to sanitize you outside. He was like, sanitize your shoes, sanitize your hands. Uh, I think he gave me the pen to sign the paperwork with a like a plastic bag over the pen when I was like, you know, signing the documents, you know. It was pretty wild. Um and, you know, a lot of people were like, well, is that like because you were a foreigner when you treated that way? And I would say not at all, because this the world was changing. And there was so much uncertainty. It absolutely was like you could feel it. It was palpable in March of 2020. It was palpable that no one knew what was going on. How serious was this? Is this something that's just going to get us sick for a while? Is this something that we're, that, that, that's going to kill us? We did, No one knew. Nobody knew, but at the same time, that Japanese expectation of that standard of quality and service, it never faltered. Uh, in, 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 20, uh, in, in 2020, I never felt like th they didn't miss a beat. They took precautions. You know, there was plastic everywhere and like the plastic dividers and the mask and, you know, the gloves and everything like that, but it was still Japan. It was still Japan. And um, in 2022, in November, uh, 
you saw that kind of relaxing. You saw that, okay, we're going to start living again. It was, it was a strange moment. There is a, there was one photo in the book uh, during March of 2020 where I was on a train during the, the normal part of the day where it would be packed. It was completely empty. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I stumble upon? Yes. You know, this wasn't a situation with last train where I was going to some remote part of the countryside and it was empty. No, this was Metro Tokyo Central in the middle of the day and it was completely empty. And I was like, oh my God, I, I have to take pictures of this. I have to take pictures of this. And, you know, the, the book doesn't focus too heavily on that because that that period represents a lot of like tense moments for people. I want it to be a reminder, but also like, hey, look, we, we got through this. Some of us didn't, and we have to remember them. And that's part of the core of the book, too, is remembering people who didn't, who are not there with us now, um, but still remembering to live our lives and be thankful and search out those moments. And I'm rambling now, but... Um, you're, you're, you're hitting it, man, because like for, for me that um, I, I know you feel you're rambling, but I, I, I feel it, you know, it's going to it hits, man, because I this is part of all that different time was what got my show up and running. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're coming up on, you know, two years, but it is important. And how easy is it, you know, once things start kind of flowing back into more of like, a, you know, what do you say, like normal? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what that normal is anymore, but. You know, to where you could let that go. And uh, your book grabs that. And I, I got to say that one thing that really struck me was your back and forth between like those Polaroid shots and then your um, like photos and things like that. And in that way, like, did you have you ended up replacing that Polaroid SX-70? Because my my friend... I, I, you know, I heard you, you know, say like about your repair costs being outrageous, but it's not a cheap camera to begin with, like, you know, uh, you know, for those things. But uh, have you replaced that for like your your, your next trip? Uh, no, uh, because I'm not going to say what I was quoted, but it was more than what I paid for the camera, uh, because what was beautiful about the camera was that it was all original parts. OK, it was the camera in its original form. And so replacing it, and you can get like these kind of like contemporary kind of like uh, modified updated versions that okay. have like new components. And I don't think there's anyone who has the, – the my my camera was built – I think I have the original registration because I found it in this weird shop. I think mine was built in like 74. Okay. And it's just okay. like who who has these original pieces for yes. this camera made in 74? And part of me is like, do I spend a lot of money and make sure it's working? I'm sure the light meter could be replaced. And there's a hook in the cartridge that pulls the forward, like that pushes the image forward, you know, like where the Polaroid spits out. Yeah. I think that hook has been broken. I think that's what the problem is. But, you know, it still requires a, a complete teardown, right? Okay, okay. And so it's like, do I, do I just find a different way to take photos and let this be the spirit of this, this, this camera? Uh, because... The camera broke while I was out there shooting in Japan, and the very last image it successfully spit out is in the book. Yes. And it's almost like this very strange full circle. There are some images from some of the first ones I ever shot with that camera in the book, because uh, I took it I took it to Japan with me in November of 2019, and then all the way back in 2022, it was almost like, this feels almost like poetic. Yes. That, you know, some of the first photos I got out of this was here in this country and the very last one 
was also here in this country. It's like, let me honor that by leaving it alone because uh, the camera's expensive. The film is expensive. It's a doozy. And I want, I still want my S670. I, I would love to have an operating one or a working one, but what a way to go out, right? Yes, 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 yes. You know, uh, what a way to go. And one of the things I like, though, uh, one of your other cameras that you had, um, that was another, uh, and I, I, I promise everybody that's listening, I'm not going to go too off the end because I think Maurice and I could talk about cameras for like an hour. And uh, that's not what we're you know necessarily here about. But one of the other ones that you had in there, I was looking at pricing for it and stuff. But um, I want to say that it was like, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 bucks. So amazing to think, you know, still, uh, you know, you can get so much from a you know, film camera. And I, I was doing this rabbit hole of like, you know, going down, a, you know, getting the film produced in a way, uh, you know, that, that you want, not having it be too dark, too light, you know, and having a company that knows what they're doing. But man, I'm gonna have to talk with you at some other time, because I got to tell you, uh, your book and using the cameras you did has me wanting to just take some regular film and go back and you know, kind of relive, you know, a life I had, uh, you know, prior to that time. So I can tell you, uh, thank you, you know, for that. But what led you to use like the cameras that you did in your book? Okay, so I've always been a bit of a camera collector for a while, because I feel like the format and the way each camera and each lens kind of like creates an image is a part of its identity, right? Everyone has like their digital cameras now, whether it's on their phone or a dedicated digital camera. But for the most part, a lot of that stuff outside of like, let's say someone say like, no, Fuji, no, Fuji, Nikon and Canon can process colors on a digital spectrum in their own kind of particular way. There's like a, a Canon profile, uh, like a Nikon profile, things like that. But when it comes to film, it's the stock that matters, the film stock, right? And so that starts the process of this artistic creation of this image uh do you want that good grain do you want something with milky skin tones like portrait 400 like uh i was shooting on fuji superior extra i think because it was cheap at the time um that it kind of leans into the greens a bit more not the the skin tones aren't too great a buddy of mine who's a photographer actually warned me against that he was like man i know you have a bunch of superior but don't shoot portraits with it shoot the portrait with the portrait um, and I didn't listen to him sometimes, and he was absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I still think it works, though, man, because I'm looking through the book even now. And I'm like, okay, I can see what Maurice is saying, but you know what, buddy? I think somebody's going to flip through the book, just going to be chalk it up to artistic license, my friend. I think it works, buddy. I think it works. You just you just, just own that and say, hey, man, I did that on purpose. You know? But there's something, there's something beautiful about having a film camera, and you're right. Don't let costs get you out of there. Because you can get a, a, a film camera point and shoot, like you said, for 50, 60 bucks. Just because digital cameras are now two or $3,000, yes. don't let that be a, 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 like this weird, odd gatekeeper that says that you can't take photos. It's not true. Yeah. If you want to shoot film, you can shoot film for 50 bucks. Uh, yeah. If you want to shoot digital, you just pop out your phone and shoot. Like, don't let this stop you. Um, yes. I love shooting on film, these, these 36 or 24 images, depending on their roles or whatever, um, because it makes you stop and value them. You can't shoot a thousand photos and then weed out the goods or the bad, the good or the bad ones. Yeah. You have to, especially if you limit yourself. Like there were some days I was out shooting photos and I'm like, I've got two roles on me. I'm not coming back to this hotel until nine o'clock. Yep. 
Yep. You know, that's 70, what is it, 36, 36, 72 shots. I want to hit up this part of town, this part of town. I have to go out to Yokohama. I'm going to go to Kamakura too. Um, we got to make it work. Don't blow those shots. The ones that count are going on film. They're not going on my phone. Yes. And whenever you have that, 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 that mindset that this is finite, you can't shoot forever. You, your eye changes. Your eye towards image making changes. You breathe a bit more. You take a bit more time. And you're so much more selective. And when you go, when you take it, and you, there's also no instant gratification. You yes. don't know. You don't know if you, you, you screwed up the focus. You don't know if you missed it. You don't know if, if your ISO settings are wrong or your aperture or speed or whatever. You don't know if you got it right. But when you go and you trust in yourself, you take the time to really select the image, you know, breathe it, breathe it in, right? And then you go and get it developed and you get it back. There is no other feeling when they hand over that film to you, right? with your negatives or your prints or whatever, and you look for that one that you were waiting for, and you're like, I nailed it. Yep. There was that Digital photos cannot recreate that moment. I, I, I'll, this is the hill I'll die on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and really, with a, uh, with, with a country as both slow and fast as Japan, shooting on film is, whew, it's a trip, man. I love it. I love it, my friend. I, I say, I'm going to have to talk to you off, you know, off, off mic here and, uh, you know, pick your brain a bit because, man, it's like you said, I'm like 40, 60, and then you're filming things you have from it. I love it. Um, I, I got to tell you, your photos um, and everyone listening, like, you know, I'm not blowing smoke here. I, this is for me, like, I felt some connection with the people that were in your photos and, like, it hit me. I, 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 I was flipping through and looking at images and I felt like I was in a moment with that person and I was like almost caught off guard uh you know with that like were you using like you know models friends people you came across like how did you end up finding the people for your book yeah the answer to that is I used everybody I used friends I used models I there was an actress who gave me some excellent work her name is Sayaka. She was wonderful. Acquaintances, YouTubers, uh, people just walking around. Um, it was, you know, there was a couple people where I stopped them and said, hey, can I take your photo? Uh, it, it was it was all of it. It was all of it. And when trying to create this book and not knowing what it was going to be yet, I had a friend of mine say to me, he's like, if you really want to create a project, get it going. He's like, you already have one trip. And some photos from uh, you have this first trip where it was with your friends and you guys are just going nuts because you're having fun and no one knew that the world was about to shut down. So you're just shooting everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there was 2020 where you're like, this is a time that has to be documented. And then the third trip was coming up and I'm like, I'm going to create this. I had this body. It's kind of like formless at this point, but I want to build it. I build a narrative around it. And that's when it started reaching out to people a lot of the bulk of the people that appear in the book, I said, Hey, look, I have this idea. I want to make this, this happen. And my friend said, tell them what you want to do. Tell them what you're trying to achieve. A lot of times with creatives, there's a lot of talk, very little action. There's a lot of the idea part, right? Yes. A lot of people want to see the momentum. 
They want to see the cohesiveness starting to come together. And once they see that you're already working on it, that there's momentum behind this and that you're serious, more people than you know will get on board and say, hey, look, this is something that someone's going to see to fruition. They're going to see this to completion. Let me get in on that. There was a YouTuber that I, I met with, uh, a really great gentleman, very kind to me. His, he has his, his YouTube, I don't want to put out his real name, but his, uh, <laughs> his uh, YouTube handle is the Kamakura Gardener. And he's this dude who used to, that works for NHK here and there, right? He's semi-retired, but I think he still does some NHK broadcasts. But he lives up in Kamakura, and he gardens a lot. And I'm like, this guy is like living out his Japanese dream. He's, I want to say he's originally from, from the East Coast in New England, but has been in Japan for longer than I've been alive. Yes. And you know, not to speak about the demographics too much of Japan, but Japan is a pretty homogenous country, right? It's, it's like 98% Japanese. Everyone else is kind of sprinkled in there. And the idea of this older black guy in Kamakura with this, with this gardening channel on YouTube, I'm like, you're not going to come and you're not going to run across this person again ever. I was like, you have to be in the book. And he was like, well, what are you doing? Because I know that YouTubers and influencers and content creators have to be selective about where they're spending their energy, right? Yes. They don't want to be a part of something that's going to betray their like core audience or it needs to add value or that it can't conflict with their own personal values. And I was like, this is what it has to be. This is what I want. If you're not interested, you know, I understand because you've got a thing going on, you know, because it's going to be your face in this book. And I showed him everything that I had or what I was trying to build. And he says, I'm down for it. That's and he awesome. was like, do you need me to come to, to Tokyo or Central Tokyo? I'm like, no, I'll, I'll come to you. And he was like, are you serious? That was part of like the deal. It was like, if these people will just let me come take their photo, I'll meet them where they're at. Yes. I'll go. You know, and um, I went up to his home and it, it, he is exactly the person that you see on YouTube, if not more so. And I got some just gorgeous images in his garden, um, some really wonderful portraits of him. The, 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 the dude is like made for like film photography. He has that like a very like fatherly kind of look to him. And it was really wild. There were some models I reached out to who I'd had photos of them from 2019 and then I met up with them again, and I'm like, over the course of the span of, of, of three years, look how different we look, you know? Yes, yes. And she was like, you take photos differently now. Yeah. And we had that kind of like, that mutual kind of experience of like, we both went through the pandemic together, but we're still doing our craft. Here's how we've changed and how we've grown and how we've adapted. And it was such a cool, a really cool experience. Because everyone at that point in 2022 in November, everyone and I, you know, I don't say this lightly. Everyone was was wanting to live again. Yes. You get what I mean? Yep. A hundred percent. Everyone was so exhausted. Everyone was so concerned. But here we are coming on the other side of this. It didn't matter where you were from. It didn't matter that I was a dude from America. You get over there and you see a shop owner and things are opening back up. Everyone was so excited for this to be normal, for, for this to be life again. And it really does come through in the book. And there was another gentleman who was uh, who's from Wisconsin, and he's out in Yokohama. And um, he's, he's, he's the sneakerhead. He's the sneakerhead 
you know, professor uh, who teaches at a university, you know, he has like his PhD or something, and he wears like this this two piece suit with like these crispy Jordans, and I'm like, who is this guy? Those photos are amazing too, my friend. It was I was like flipping through, and I'm like, what's going on? Like this is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and everyone was just after after I was able to communicate what it was going to be. Everyone was like, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. It was wonderful. It w- it really was wonderful. Um, and I can't speak enough to those people who were like, yes, come out. Let's, let's, let's do something special. Let's create art because they were all about it. And I really do believe it. If you're, if you're an artist or a content creator, you know, you get every, everybody in your life has a piece of useful information. I don't care how big or how small it is. If there is a goal, like, you know, you're at the beginning or anywhere at the point from its completion, and then you see the end, and you just source out the, the, the solutions, your friends will help you piece it together. And don't let a piece that you don't know stop you. Um, you'll figure it out. We're, you know, we all have smartphones. You know, we all have Google. If you don't have immediate knowledge, you know, from your own brain, you can go out and ask someone, you know, you can email someone. It'll come together. If you feel like someone is a a face or or a personality or a persona that fits into your thing, whatever you're doing, reach out to them. With enthusiasm and and, and a, a genuine drive, you'll get way more yeses than you'll get noes. I really, really, truly believe that. I 100% my friend. And with that energy, I, it just comes off of you. It does. So what led you to choose kickstarting then as your route to publishing your book? And like, what are some obstacles you've kind of encountered to this point? Oh, okay. So I have some doozies for this one. Okay. So one of the many things that I think that people run into with Kickstarter is being completely unaware of how many, how much things cost. You know, I'm a big fan of globalization. The world economy is definitely shrinking. It's more accessible. Um, I don't want to trash on getting things made in America. We all know that you know American labor is kind of like in this paradigm shift at this point, right? Um, but getting the book made in America for the base level for the book that I wanted, the size that I wanted, because my book is like thirteen and a half inches by eight and a half inches. It's a big book, and when you lay it out flat, which is another thing that was important, it's is it will span a good chunk of a coffee table. It had to be hardcover. That was important to me. A lot of books, they, when I was getting quotes to get it made in America, a lot of the people didn't want to make a book that, that big. A lot of them didn't want to make it with that many pages because I think the pages, the total page count is around 120 pages. A lot of them stopped at 100 pages. Anyway, a book that was like 11 by 8, which is smaller than my book, with a max of 100 pages, to even do a small batch was $25,000. Yeah. And you know, uh, at that price point, I can't offer a decent price. Yes. I have to charge someone $125 for the book. Yep. That's absurd to me. Yep. You know, for me to get the hardcover with the, all the images I want at the size I want with the semi-gloss art paper, it was just not possible in America. And I'm not a celebrity. You know, I, I feel like my art speaks for itself, but there is something to be said about name recognition when it comes to plopping down your hard-earned money for something. 100%. Even if you connect with the, the material, that's a lot of money. And so the first thing was figuring out 
where can I get this reasonably made? And that was in Asia. Once I figured out those logistics and the actual per unit cost was reasonable enough for I'm like, hey, look, this collection of stuff. And I got all the photos and images I wanted in the quality that I wanted with a price point where I could get this book in line with a normal photo book of the 40 to $45 range, right? And even if I'm aggressive, I can do early bird pricing for a little bit cheaper than that. I can get this in people's hands. Yes. And not charge them 80, 90, 100 dollars minimum, right? Yep, yep, yep. That was that was the biggest obstacle is like, okay, how do I handle this chain of supply stuff, right? And then another obstacle after that was there was a component of, you know, you get these big uh, shipments that come in by ship or by air, it then gets to a seaport or the coast, you know, this is a big bulk order and a ton of boxes. How do you handle freight uh, shipments yes. then, right? Yep. And then, the, then there was the logistics of, this is going to arrive in Miami if you choose it this way. Do you have another vendor who's going to get it from Miami to your door? I don't live anywhere near Miami. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. So that was another thing. And I just recently figured out that piece of it. And that was like a weight off my shoulder because I know that I knew every piece from uploading my designs to speaking with the designers, even if it's in a different language, we, you know, when it comes to like translating from inches to, to the metric system, as soon as we figured that out, we were good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. We were good. We were good. Um, and then getting that to the, the, the type of paper and the cover I wanted to uh, then ship it, how it's going to be shipped and how it's going to get from the docks to my house for me to do fulfillment all the way up to when I'm fulfilling it myself, which I plan on doing myself, how much is it's going to cost to ship out to each person in the United States or internationally. All that stuff is a fact finding mission. You need to know those things. And I know all of those things now. And it's almost like, oh, wow, this is how this is done. But I got to be honest with you, just like I'm a regular guy, I don't work in supply chain management. I don't. And so, but it is, it is doable. You can, anyone can figure out all of these things. I promise you, it's going to be frustrating. You're going to have to send out some emails. You're going to get a lot of, I don't knows or people who won't respond. But if you're not going to bunch enough doors, digital doors, whatever, phone calls, whatever, you're going to get the A to the Z. The biggest obstacle, if there is one was figuring out how to get it from the docks in Miami. That was the biggest, the biggest problem and not blow up the price, right? Yep. Where it was going to like, oh, this book, instead of being 35 or 40 or $45, it's going to have to be 70 or $80. Yes. Because there are some US, you know, let's say I, I buy 500 books. There were some people who were like, yeah, we'll get the books from you for $2,000. That's, that's, you know, outside of the shipping from the, the country it's coming from, that's outside of the cost per book. Then yeah. add on another, you know, $2,000 on top of that. Oh, you want that insured while it's in our trucks? And we, if we slam it around, we pay for it. That's another $500. The numbers were all over the place. But, you know, I was able to find a lot of like those pieces and kind of put the whole puzzle together. And it was it was a doozy. It, but it was it was satisfying and invigorating because you feel yourself leveling up when you try to crack this, this code, right? I love it, my friend. And what are the tiers you're contemplating for uh, Kickstarter? Okay, so one thing that I will just say, uh, I'm going to be very frank about this. This is not a money-making thing. I am just looking to get the book in people's hands. It's really like a pre-order, like, 
you help me get this book made in this bulk order that covers the Kickstarter. And let's just consider it an exchange. Yeah. Because I really do believe that the, the, the body of work speaks for itself. I think the format of the book is worth the money. And if I, if I can get into kind of like more logistics, because it is so film heavy and the processing, because I think I came back just uh, when I got back from Japan, I came back with like 900 35 millimeter negatives. And I took a, like a, a camera shop that does, you know, kind of scanning and processing and things like that. And they were like, yo, this is going to cost you. They were like at bulk order of scanning your, your, your negatives. This is going to cost you $2 per negative for us to scan it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 1800. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's after the 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 negatives were, the 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 film was actually processed or developed in Japan, so that's just to get prints and stuff, right? I'm thinking, wow, this is gonna cost so much money. Um, so this tears and stuff like that, I'm not worried about that because I'm not worried about making that money back on that stuff. I had to go buy a 35 millimeter scanner, and then for my other formats, I went and got a flatbed scanner like that shoots that that scans at like a, a really high DPI rate. So I'm not worried about recouping those costs because those are things I get to use forever for as long as they operate, right? I'm not billing in my my cost of my my plane ticket or my food or my lodgings, none of that stuff. Yeah. The only tier I'm really worried about is you want a book. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you. That's it. That's it. That's it. And, you know, because it's, you know, 2023, um, I do know that a lot of media is consumed and ingested through screens. So I have like what I sent you. That's kind of like the backbone of like the ebook version, because I know that a lot of people, Hey, look, I don't want a giant coffee table book because the book is big. But I will go in on a digital ebook. Can you hand me that? And there's going to be an ebook version. So, really, it's just ebook, you know, book, physical book, and then maybe book with ebook and a signature. I might build in a few other things, like little add ons. Um, but this is not a Kickstarter campaign where I'm trying to upsell you a dozen different things where the profit margins are greater on those things. I know that's the, we all know the game. We know the Kickstarter game and there's no shame in that because we're all trying to just trying to make it under capitalism. I get it. <laughs> we're all trying to get our breaks where we can. But like I said, I like this book so much and I'm so proud of the people that I got to work with. I really do see it as a one-to-one -one exchange. Like, Hey, look, you're helping me. I want to help you. Let's all come in together and get this book made. I promise you when it's on your coffee table or on your shelf and you show it to people, they're like, wow, look at this. I promise you. I 100% promise that because I think it's something that um, a lot of people are not doing. This isn't just street photography. This isn't a bunch of photography in the back of people's heads. You're as someone who's been to, to Japan a lot of times, especially back to like the early aughts, right, where you got to see Japan change. Yeah. You know, I would love to have been in the early 2000s. You know, that would I'm sure it was a much different place. Right. I just I believe in the project so much and I think it's going to connect with you. Like, for instance, like I have a big this is not a chip on my shoulder, but I went, so I'm not going to say, say her name, but I know that the cyberpunk photography is very popular with in respect to Japan, in particular, uh, Tokyo. For anyone listening, I don't mean to disappoint you. This is not a cyberpunk photography book. I don't want to mislead anybody, and I'll, I'll get that out the way right now. When I was working with one of the models, 
we were talking and I was like, yeah, the cyberpunk thing is really popular. And in Japanese style, she was very kind of civil, didn't really want to step on any toes. And she goes, yep, it's an aesthetic. And then she just kept moving. I don't want to contribute to a Paris syndrome kind of situation where you think that you're getting one thing because you're getting this, all of this, this material kind of exported to you. You get there and you're like, wait a second, this isn't what this looks like at all. I feel like 100% of my images are an accurate reflection of, of 2019, 2020, and 2022 Japan, that if you step out on a corner where I was at, you'll know that's where I took the photo. Yes. I didn't push the colors. I didn't add purples and greens and blues and, and this and that. I didn't drop the contrasts where it's unrecognizable. I don't want to insult someone who lives there and they said, this is not my home. If I showed this to, I can, I can show any of these photos to a Japanese person with confidence that they feel that I tried my best to capture their environment and their home in the best way possible. I feel confident in that. And I think anyone who sees this book will see that too. I agree, my friend. And, and you, I, I got to tell you, um, looking at these pictures uh, to everyone that's listening, um, you feel like you're the person that is there. Like, I mean, you're there. This is your photos of your trip, even if you aren't the one that actually took the photos, you know, Maurice did. But like, I felt like I was there. I felt like this was a trip I took. And it's going to be amazing, uh, whether it's digital or physical uh, for you to have. And Maurice, we're going to have to have you back on after. I, I truly feel this is going to be successful, but we're going to have to have you back on uh, just to talk, my friend, because I feel we could have done hours more. Um, and I and if you're ever there during the summer, because I'm limited as a teacher when I can be either in Chicago or Japan or I end up out by you, um, I definitely want to share, uh, you know, a tea or a meal or something, my friend, because uh, you've been uh, wonderful uh, to talk to today. And I want to follow back up when we you know, meet again. Just one last question before we kind of get uh, like, you know, finish wrapping up is what is some advice that you could give to someone that's looking to take photos in Japan? Oh, okay. That's a, that's a big one. I would say be respectful. There are a lot of people, and that's why one thing that I'm very proud about my book is that you get a lot of people who are participating in the photos. A lot of uh, Japanese photography is either absent of people or it's sneaky kind of street photography, which is, it, it, it's an art, right? It's not for me, but it's an art. Ask. Don't be afraid to ask. If something captures your eye, it's okay to ask. Just be okay if, if they say no. But I think that if you come with an open mind and an open hand and with genuine intentions, like I said earlier, you're going to get so many more yeses, and it's going to feel good to capture the moment you wanted, not the one that you could kind of snap you know, from a mile away, but it feels so much different when you're able to capture the images and the moments that you want because you took a moment to connect with a real human being. There is so much more satisfaction in that. And then at that moment, you've shared and created an experience between yourself as a person who's taking the photo, if it is people, and uh, with the person that has their photo taken. Everyone loves to have a good photo of them of themselves. We really do. I think it's very human. It's a documentation of a time and a place and who we were at an exact moment. And just be open-minded. Some people will say no, but a lot of people will say yes. Take the moments to, to get to know them, to connect with them, 
you should want to know what the, like if you're going to if you want to take photos of people want to know the person more than you want to take the photo instead of the other way around that's awesome my friend and i'm going to put links for everything um when you give them to me for your kickstarter and just everything that's there um i, I just want to thank you and like i said all your social media the facebook the instagram and things like that we will include in our notes as well and i just maurice truly Thank you uh, for joining me today and joining uh, the show. Absolutely. And if I can say one last thing about you, I, I have to thank you because there is one thing that, you know, outside of all the noise on the Internet, right, in the form of you know, Instagram content or podcasts or just stuff that we're kind of you know, inundated with and bombarded with, I found your podcast to be so detail-oriented and so stuffed with actionable advice. That's one thing for your listeners to, to kind of think about. When you're ingesting information about a particular goal, the information that's inside of it, does it get you closer to your goal? Does it get you closer to that reality that you want to live? And I really believe that any podcast that you've, and I've listened to maybe like two dozen of your, your episodes, I think close to it, somewhere around there, Every single one, whether it's what the information that you're providing or that your guests are providing um, from Doc to Nikki to some other people, information dense, actionable advice, actionable links, locations, websites, expectations for cost, behavior expectations. It's all there. And you compiled that in a show that is, you know, you got bangers after bangers, man. And I really, I, 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 you're very modest, but you don't give yourself enough credit. Your podcast and the guests that you have on here are nothing short of a valuable resource. Absolutely. And like your day trip episodes, they're so precise. I like, it's crazy how precise they are. Like, it's like, oh, this guy really planned this out with Google Maps and times and locations and proximity, I've never heard anyone's stuff that is that precise. You got it going on. So please keep it up. <laughs> and uh, I, would, I would forward your episodes to anyone who's like, I don't know how to get to Japan. What are the, what's the first step I've got to do? I'm like, well, I could give you some advice, but this guy's a pro. Listen to any of his episodes, and you're going to come out after 45 minutes or an hour saying, you know what? I know exactly what I have to do next. Thank you, Maurice. That means the world to me, my friend. It, it really does. It really does. And um, we'll talk again, my friend. Um, this isn't going to be the only time. Um, I know it. And I definitely want to have you back on. Um, so thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And just on behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us for today's interview. We look forward to seeing you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on Japan, travel, culture, and your Lost Without Moments. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends.